0: I just want to take a second to talk about how special our nutrition program is. The food that we create here at Sakara is designed to transform your gut and your microbiome health. And when you do that, you change everything about who you are. You change your mental health. You change your physical health. You change your spiritual health. You change your cellular health. When I'm out in the world, people will say, I love Sakara," and... You know, it's either the person who is on it every single day that I meet or it's the person who, you know, I've tried your metabolism powder, but I just haven't been able to try the food program. And I always remind them that you don't have to be on this food program every single day. But if you come once a month for three days or once a year for one of our 30-day resets or once a year for five days in January, if that's all you can do... What it does is it transforms your gut, not just in the moment that you're eating the food, but in weeks and months after. It trains your gut to change the cravings you have, to change your metabolism. It
1: transforms the strains of bacteria in your gut that inform your health for months to come. That diversity of ingredients that you're getting into your body changes the diversity of bacteria in your gut which is the epicenter of your health. And it supports your total body health, your immune system, your metabolism, your skin clarity and skin health and how you age. And so I want to invite you, if you haven't tried Sakara before, you don't need to do this whole big shebang, clear your week and and your schedule to do it. Figure out what is holding you back from giving yourself this gift, giving this yourself this step on your path to taking really good care of yourself. You deserve to feel good. You deserve to feel nourished in your body. And we are here to help you do that. And wait we just have to say the one thing we always forget to say. Oh yeah, it's really, <laughs> really delicious.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we always talk about how it'll transform your body and your health and your microbiome. But man, our chefs are talented. It's delivered to your door, ready to eat. And it is so delicious. And that, by the way, is part of the nutrition because you should enjoy the path to creating a body you feel good in. It should not feel like you're depriving yourself. I literally just ate chocolate, banana, granola. I had a cookies and cream parfait. I was actually thinking when I was pouring the milk this morning, I was like, I can't believe I used to think I had to deprive myself to have a body, I felt good and to have a body I felt sexy and That's been the biggest change for me. Mm. So that's our wish
1: for all of you is to give you the food that helps you feel good and sexy. You can find more details and how to customize your own plan on sakara.com, and enjoy 20% off your first order of our Sakara Signature Nutrition Program with code POD. That's code P-O-D at checkout for 20% off your first order. Order now.
0: We at Saqqara are on a mission to give you the tools to sit in the driver's seat of your own health. One of those tools is education and knowledge to enable you to make well informed, intentional decisions about your well being. That's why we asked Dr. Elizabeth Sharp to talk to us about the science behind Ozempic, Wagovi, and other GLP 1 medications for weight loss. She's a board-certified internal medicine physician, functional medicine doctor, as well as the founder and CEO of Health Meets Wellness Medical Practice in New York City, specializing in weight management. In this episode, we get into the science behind weight loss, why it's so hard for so many, and who GLP-1 medications may be right for. We also discuss what healthy weight loss means and how to maintain it using food and lifestyle changes. We love Dr. Sharp's approach to weight loss because it's through the lens of health and well being first and foremost. We hope you enjoy this conversation. All right, Dr. Elizabeth, we're so happy to have you on the Sakara Life podcast. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Well, we like to start off every single podcast asking about your personal mission. Like, what are you here on earth to do?
2: That's such a great question. I would say it really stems from me being a primary care doctor. So, you know, I became a doctor because I want to help people, but I became a primary care doctor also because I really love the relationships that I have with patients. And, you know, they say as a primary care doctor, or as a patient rather, you want to find a doctor who you can grow old with. And so, as a primary care doctor, you want to be able to take care of patients for many, many years. And so, That's really my mission and my goal. But at the same token, you know, they say if you want to make a big impact, then you have to solve a big problem. And so I I think that that ties in nicely with what we're going to talk about today because these new obesity medications really have the potential to make a huge impact. In this country and really around the globe and and I think that that's a personal interest of mine is helping people with weight management and obesity and I think it's really amazing what both of you are doing with Sakara because the real root problem is food, of course, and I think it's really complementary to these medications to tie those things together
0: yeah, I'm so excited to delve into so many different topics with you, but I think kind of a really important place to start is. How do you define healthy weight loss? I think weight loss has become, you know, almost like a dirty word where it's like you, you don't want to tell people you want to lose weight. We talk to clients who are like, I want to lose weight, but I don't want the world to know I want to lose weight. We also talk to clients who think, you know, a, a crash diet is still the best way to go. And so like, how do you define healthy weight loss with your patients?
2: Yeah. So for me, healthy weight loss is weight loss that can be achieved and then maintained. So that's really the big thing. So, you know, typically I recommend about a pound to a pound and a half of weight loss per week. The CDC recommends roughly a pound to two pounds per week for safe weight loss because it's shown that people who lose weight slower like that tend to keep it off. And really the goal is to keep the weight off because it can be harder to continually change your set point or your weight. And so there's actually been some research that's shown that people who take these medications, even if they stop them and gain the weight back, sometimes the medications can be less effective in the future. And I think that also pairs really nicely with the diet and lifestyle changes that you have to make, which do take time, but enable you to maintain the weight loss.
1: Set point. What is that? Can you tell us more about it?
2: Yeah. So, your homeostasis or your set point, you know, we all have set points for a lot of things in our body temperature, weight. And I think that the longer you stay at a certain set point, it can be harder to then shift that set point. That said, when you constantly shift it around, your body tries to go back to its quote unquote baseline. And so, In fact, as you lose weight, I find this to be fascinating, but as you lose weight, your body's so smart. It naturally tries to help you put the weight back on because it thinks that that's what the healthy thing to do is to keep you at your homeostasis. And so... It's amazing, but your muscles actually become more efficient as you lose weight. So you burn less calories doing the same exercise. Your hunger increases and your metabolism slows down. So your body does everything it can to help you hang on to that weight, probably for survival, of course, right? So when we were hunter gatherers, that was advantageous. So I, I think all that's really interesting because, you know, when you understand how your body works, then you can do little things to augment it. For example, for weight loss, I really recommend doing weight-bearing exercises or resistance training because if you do that, you actually counteract the efficiency of your muscles a little bit so they don't become more efficient and you can still burn more calories when you're exercising. So I find that kind of stuff very interesting because it's it's fun to, to talk about and to be able to kind of optimize your health in that way.
1: You have my wheels turning now around this concept of set point and what goes into creating our body's set point. I mean, I'm thinking about what your body, why your body might have a certain amount of weight that it holds on to, certain levels of stress in your life that adds this layer of protection. And it's there to do a number of different things. If it thinks that you're going to burn out or be in famine or something like that, it needs to hold on to weight, right?
2: Yeah and I think you know stress is a really interesting point that you brought up because your stress hormone cortisol naturally increases your blood sugar level and causes insulin resistance because you need energy if you got to you know run away from the bear right so in the fight or flight mode your body is getting you ready for an extended period of of needing energy without potentially eating for a little bit right if you have that as a chronic condition you're going to start to see the effects of it over time with with weight and and other parts of your health as well. So, I think especially in the world we live in now, it's so important to try to take time out and de-stress for even like 5 minutes in a day. So many doctors don't
1: mention that. We're always told it's exercise and it's calories. Yeah, you'd have to watch calories and calories out. Nobody is talking about this element of
0: emotional, spiritual, yeah. Yes. Yeah. What
1: about, you know, There's like such a spectrum of weight loss.
0: So my question is twofold. One, what kind of diagnostic tools do you use to help someone understand if they should lose weight? And second, how do you handle if someone wants to lose weight even though they kind of don't need to from a medical
2: perspective?
0: Like, do you approach that differently than you do if someone is actually overweight medically?
2: I would say two things. In a typical medical office, we would usually use something called BMI or body mass index, which is a pretty rudimentary metric. It's your weight for your height, right? In my office, we have an in-body machine that measures bioimpedance. And so I love it because I can then look at your lean muscle mass. I can look at your body fat percentage. I can look at your BMI. And then we can have a real conversation about optimizing your body composition, which I think is much more useful. Sometimes a BMI can be an inaccurate measure if you have more muscle mass, for example. Also for some people, you know, you might want to lose weight and we could optimize, let's say, your body fat percentage. Sometimes that could be easier to talk about than weight. Really, we're talking about optimizing your health and not weight as much. One other measure that the embody gives is visceral fat, which is more closely correlated with cardiovascular disease. When you can be a little bit more clinical about it, it also can be easier to talk about. It becomes less personal. And then you can come up with a plan that's really more health and wellness oriented and less about a number because that can just become very unhealthy with eating patterns and thought patterns and all that kind of stuff.
0: And it also reorients your goal. Like your goal, hopefully, is ultimately health. And when you start talking about body composition versus how many pounds you are, that's how you start to have the health conversation, right? Because you can say, I want to help you lose visceral fat. Versus if you're just talking about weight, you could be losing lean muscle mass. You could be losing things that you don't want to lose.
2: A hundred percent. And it brings back the question about safe weight loss because the goal really is to achieve and maintain the weight loss. And so I think when you have the right goal or intention from the beginning, then you're much more likely to get that desired outcome.
1: At times, do you see with your patients that maybe they even stay the same weight, but their body composition changes?
2: Yes. I love to ask the question like, how do you feel in your clothes or how do you feel in your body? I feel like that's a much better question because ultimately, that highlights how you feel overall when you wake up in the morning and throughout the day. And, And that's really the goal is like good energy levels, feeling energetic and ready to exercise or go for a walk and be with friends or family. And that also optimizes your health.
0: All right. I feel like we should get into it. So, you know, originally the idea of this podcast came because Elizabeth, you and I were having coffee and talking about these GLP 1 drugs and just kind of how they've taken over, you know, the media. I have several friends who are on it. I hear people talking about it in cafes. Like it's really just such a hot topic. And yet at the same time, I don't think people fully understand the impact of their choices around this. And so what we wanted to do today is really delve into the science with you, when these drugs can be beneficial, what they are actually designed for, when you put someone on them, when you don't. Ozempic is a GLP-1 drug. So in the class of GLP-1 drugs, what do they do from like a scientific perspective? How do they act in the body?
2: So GLP-1 medications are glucagon-like peptide-1 analogs. So they act like this peptide or hormone that your body naturally produces. They're part of a class of hormones called incretins, which are hormones that are secreted in your gut or released in your gut after you eat. So all of their mechanisms of action are around that process, which is eating and hunger and satiety and blood sugar. So the main mechanisms of action are it decreases your hunger cues in the brain. Increases satiety, so you feel full. It actually slows transit time in your gut, so you literally are full longer. It increases insulin secretion, so lowers your blood sugar level that way, and decreases glucagon production and release from the liver, which is another mechanism to increase your blood sugar level. So by halting that, it helps to decrease blood sugar levels. So overall, it works really nicely as a diabetic medication, but also as a weight loss medication.
0: And how typically are these
2: drugs given? So the original GLP-1 medication that was FDA-approved in 2005 was a twice-daily injection. Now we have longer-acting GLP-1 medications like semaglutide, which is the active ingredient in Ozempic, which is what's FDA-approved for diabetes, and Wagovi, which is what's FDA-approved for weight loss. And these are once-weekly injections. Semaglutide does come as an oral formulation called Rebelsis, but it's not as effective.
1: And who do you usually recommend these drugs to? Who's this for?
2: By the guidelines, they're FDA approved for obesity, and they use the BMI metric or way of classifying weight and obesity versus overweight. And then they're approved for people who are overweight with other weight-associated or comorbid conditions such as high blood pressure, high cholesterol, things of that nature. Most typically, those are all the patients who I would recommend the medication for because it's going to be FDA approved and covered by your insurance. The issue right now is finding Wagovi because it's very hard to get. But the other medication by Eli Lilly, it's called Manjaro, that actually has two incretin hormones, so GLP-1 and something called GIP is hopefully going to be FDA approved for weight loss soon. And so that will, I think, help in terms of supply.
1: And being FDA approved, I mean, a lot of drugs are used off-label. Is the FDA approval, is that for insurance coverage? Why is that important?
2: So yes, it is for insurance coverage, but also in terms of safety, the FDA is... Intense in terms of a lot getting drugs approved. Pharmaceutical companies have to go through rigorous trials to be able to get these medications approved to be qualified as safe in humans. You know that brings up a really good point with what's going on with compounding pharmacies right now. So, so say I want to prescribe the medication for someone who has an allergy, I would call a compounding pharmacy, and they would be able to make the medication without that component. Now, what's happened because of the shortage of semaglutide or ozempic and wégovy these compounding pharmacies were given the green light to produce these medications in larger quantities the big problem is that a lot of them are now actually using a different form of semaglutide so semaglutide salts which actually have never been tested in humans it just brings up the other important point of the fda approval which is that we can say or i can say as a doctor that this medication has been shown to be safe and effective in humans
0: What's the longest term study that's been done on these drugs for weight loss?
2: I would say we're compiling data in real time because most of the data, especially initially with these medications from 2005 and before when they were getting approved, they were really largely studying people who have diabetes. And so you can definitely extrapolate the outcomes, but it's not the same. To be fair, we're definitely still learning together. And under what
0: circumstances would you not prescribe someone the drug for weight loss? Like, are there, are there times where you would not?
2: Yes, yes, 100%. I would say the person who wants to lose 5 to 10 pounds, this is not the medication for them. I think that's when you run the risk of losing fat from places where you don't want to lose it, and it may be hard to actually gain it back. For example, in your face, or also losing bone density and lean muscle mass, which can be dangerous. So, you know, you have to be very careful. When an obese patient takes the medication, the weight loss benefits are so far outweighing any of those potential adverse effects that we don't really consider them as much. But as you start to lose weight and you get closer to your optimal weight, the balance shifts. That's what's dangerous about people who might not really need to take the medication, taking it, especially if they're not making those diet and lifestyle changes that they should be when they're on the medication.
0: Let's say, you know, someone wanted to lose 30 to 50 pounds. You prescribe this medication. What are the expectations you set in terms of how much weight loss they should expect? And then how long do you recommend that they're on this drug?
2: Is this for life or until when? That's a really great question. And I would say it's very patient-specific in the sense that generally, I would say for people who are overweight but not in the obese category, I try to have a really comprehensive diet and lifestyle plan that's paired with the medication and then a goal of losing about four to eight pounds per month and then slowly tapering that patient off the medication so that then they can maintain the weight loss with those healthy diet and lifestyle changes that we've made together. And I love pairing it with the medication because you get to see more immediate results, which then Gives that positive reinforcement to continue all of those changes that you're making, which are hard, and take time to see the results. Especially if there's no guarantee, it's hard to be like, "All right, I'm going to keep not eating the things I like and changing my exercise routine, and you know all the stuff that's hard to do."
0: I mean, we know better than anyone like how much people need to see and feel results to be motivated to change their lifestyle. And I think you're speaking to a really important point that I want to get to. I saw a recent survey that surveyed kind of the eating habits of people that have been on these GLP-1 drugs, and it showed that the biggest changes in their diet were they were eating much fewer fruits and vegetables, much fewer poultry and fish, and much more refined carbohydrates and sugary sodas. And so that's where my concern is, I obviously, as a functional nutritionist, tend to err toward let's figure out your diet, lifestyle, and food, but absolutely understand that when there is incredible medicine made that can really help people, there's absolutely a time for it. But my concern is that it takes your daily habits out of the equation in order to see results when I think that tends to be the number one motivating factor. And so if you're going to get results without changing your diet, like I'm nervous for people's long-term health.
2: Yeah, totally. I am 100% in agreement. That is one of the drawbacks of the medication is that you can lose weight by it without changing your diet, right? By eating less because of the way that the medication works, which we touched on at the beginning. But... It brings up two points, actually. So that's one. The second is that with obesity, we're slowly starting now to recognize that as a chronic disease that actually has to be managed for a really long time. And so I do think that for obese patients, they will likely need to be on this medication for an extended period of time, maybe for their entire lives, but maybe on a lower dose. A lot of times for weight loss, especially with Wugovi, the goal is to maximize the dose and then achieve the weight loss and then lower the dose and taper off the medication if possible. With diabetes, for example, you typically use Ozempic at lower doses because it's a maintenance thing that you're anticipating using for an extended period of time and you're managing more blood sugar, a little bit less the weight, of course. But I think it's interesting just to bring up that nuance because... It brings back the fact that you know we're all learning in terms of the weight management component. And one thing I've seen a lot in practice is that when people are on these medications, they need to eat smaller meals to make sure that they get all the right macronutrients. And it's so important to have the right dietary counseling because you can start to become deficient in those macro and micronutrients. And then you can lose bone density, lean muscle mass, and all those other things that are really not great for your overall health. Long-term then, to bring it back to maintaining the weight, it's impossible then if you go off the medication and you're eating all the refined carbohydrates and drinking sugary sodas.
1: Actually, I went to my hairstylist the other day to get my hair highlights done, and she said that she has a number of different clients that are on Ozempic or Ozempic-like drugs right now. And that, you know, they're not using it for obesity. They would probably fall into that category of wanting to just drop 10 pounds and not have to worry about diet and exercise. And what she's seeing is changes in their face, but also changes in their hair, that they are losing their hair. And mm-hmm. to to an amount where she said you're not going to have enough hair for me to even color by the end of this and their response was then I'll wear a wig because they cared <laughs> they cared more <laughs> about staying on this drug than they do about their hair but for me your hair is not a necessity per se for your body so when it's lacking nutrients it doesn't send nutrients to your hair to grow to use those nutrients in other parts of your body so if you're Losing hair, it can be a sign of lack of nutrition and enough nutrients, from my understanding. And so maybe if they're eating smaller meals and not getting enough nutrition in those meals, then they're not getting the nutrients they need to sustain their body and their hair.
2: 100%. And I would say also, one other thing that I always recommend when patients are on these medications for weight loss is to take a multivitamin because they're eating smaller meals. I think that you bring up a really good point, which is that, you know, when you are eating smaller meals, you have to be really intentional about making sure that you get everything that you need. And your body reflects your nutritional status in so many different ways, and hair is definitely one of them. I mean, this
1: is one of the biggest issues that I have with this drug. I think, yes, it can be extremely helpful for people who really need it. But I think that it can take the attention away from what food is there to do. That food is the raw materials your body uses to rebuild and repair itself. There are certain systems within the body that require nutrition, nutrients in order to function. And so just not eating is not the answer to getting the body that you want. We have to think about the body as this system and making sure that it's getting the nutrition it needs to stay healthy now and as we age into the future.
0: So we've talked about Ozempic face and weight loss in places you don't want. We've talked about hair loss. Like What are some of the other negative impacts that are either known or that you're personally seeing?
2: So I would say the lean muscle mass and bone density we've touched on, but that's something that I like to monitor closely with the body composition machine that I have. That's something that I think is not being done as much, but should be if your physician has the ability to do so. And then the things that are in the news right now are gastroparesis, which is when you get a blockage or stoppage of transit through your gut. And so, you know, if you think about how the medications work, they slow transit time in the gut. So, it makes sense that it's possible that this could be an adverse effect maybe from increasing the dose too quickly, maybe you have constipation at baseline and then you weren't counseled to make sure you're drinking more water and exercising, etc. and it can be really dangerous. In particular, it can be very dangerous for pre-surgery or post-surgical outcomes. So if if you take the medication leading up to surgery, sometimes you can end up with issues with the anesthesia. So you could have be an aspiration risk, which could be obviously quite dangerous. That's been in the news a lot recently. We're now recommending holding the medications a week before surgery. And then there are other considerations as well. So pancreatitis is another thing medullary thyroid cancer is something that you definitely want to discuss with your doctor before you start the medication because there is a black box warning about that. It's definitely not a silver bullet. But at the same time, it is an amazing breakthrough in weight management and specifically obesity management. It's just incredible when you see you know, people lose 50 plus pounds. It's just life-changing. At the same time, the medications are great, but they have to be paired with the diet and lifestyle changes and food is medicine, which is what we've been talking about. And I firmly believe that it not only affects your physical body, but mentally, energy level, and everything. Now, I would say this. When I was practicing before in a more traditional medical practice, for an annual physical, I would just ask, you know... General stuff like oh, okay, do you eat a healthy diet? And I'm gonna be like, yeah, and I'll be like, all right, next question. What does that even mean, healthy diet? That could mean so many different things to different people. And so, you know, what really interested me in functional medicine was diving more into that. So, like, you know, tell me what you had for breakfast. What did you? What does what your typical day look like? Are you fasting? Are you not? You know, all those things really impact your health. And especially
0: like, what's your relationship to food? Because as a former yo-yo dieter who Always thought food was the enemy. Like I'm nervous for people out in the world who are still suffering from that and then using Ozempic and not really dealing with either their food addiction or their food issue or you know, their disordered eating patterns. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I guess I don't necessarily know my question, except like do you do you see that? are there are there kind of like questions people have to filter through so that you know that it's like a safe drug for them from like an emotional spiritual?
2: standpoint? 100%. I always ask about eating disorder history because I wouldn't recommend it for people who have had an eating disorder. There is a role for it, but it definitely needs to be under the care of professionals in terms of like a mental health professional as well as very close follow-up. And I generally would not recommend it for, for someone with that history because it could very easily trigger that again, as you highlighted. I think... Where it can be really helpful, and again, this has to be done under in the right clinical context, but it helps a lot with food noise. So for people who have like binge eating habits, I don't want to say binge eating disorder, but habits where they'll eat a lot in one sitting, maybe not purge, for example, but just habits like that that could be stress-related, the so less extreme, I think it can be really helpful for that because it does help quiet the food noise. So you can make a healthy choice easier. It's still an intentional choice. So you have to make it and you have to wanna do it. It's still, it's not easy, but it's easier to be able to make those changes.
1: And so do you see that it can help people to break habits? I know people who have said, like, I have food addiction. If they're around food, they can't help themselves. They must eat it and eat a lot of it. Can this drug help break those habits and feelings of addiction? And
2: do they have to be on it then forever? I think that it, that really highlights the type of patient that may need to be on it long term and might be more in the obese category in the sense of it's a chronic medical condition. You can definitely change eating patterns. You can change eating behavior and then remove the medication and maintain that. But I do think that once the medication is removed, it's very easy to revert back to your old habits. And so you either need to have really close follow-up and maintain those diet and lifestyle changes, which are still considered treatment. And we don't talk about that as much, but they're part of the treatment plan. And I would say that the medications could play a role long term in really curbing the stress eating. For example, I had a patient who was on the medication and liked to eat at buffets and went on a a cruise where it was like an all you can eat, you know, buffet for for many days. And he got quite sick because he was on the medication. And so it was funny because he had been losing weight and then his weight stayed stable when he was on the cruise and he came back and saw me and he was like, "Oh, I felt so sick. I couldn't eat the way I normally could and I think that that is a Benefit of the medication and that it can really reinforce, like, hey, that's an unhealthy eating beh- behavior and you're going to feel sick if you do that. But if you remove the medication, then you could easily go back to doing that.
0: And what about for people, but especially women in their fertile years? Like, are we seeing any contraindications? Can you take it while pregnant? Is it impacting fertility? Do we know? That's a
2: great question, especially with fertility. So, you know, prior to pregnancy, one thing that is really important to try to optimize is insulin resistance and also pre-pregnancy weight, which can be largely correlated then with, for example, gestational diabetes or higher birth weights and different outcomes with pregnancy. And so it can be really great to try to optimize the health of the mother prior to pregnancy, especially with different forms of insulin resistance, maybe PCOS or pre-diabetes or things like that. And I'm not even saying using a GLP-1 medication, but just different treatments in general, right? Maybe metformin or something else like that. You know, I would say a good rule of thumb is generally not to be on medication unless you really need it, right? So try to be on either the lowest possible dose of a medication, or if you can remove it while you're pregnant. The only caveat to that is with some mood medications, I typically recommend keeping them on in pregnancy and lowering the dose a little bit and then maybe increasing them back a bit in the third trimester just to try to manage any postpartum depression or anxiety, which I think we're really starting to talk more about now.
0: At Sakara, we have a lot of clients who are in the 5 to 15-pound category who want you know, to lose just a little bit of weight. So if these GLP-1 drugs are not ideal for them, how do you tend to approach weight loss? in your clinical setting.
2: So one of the things that I love about the InBody is that it does give us your basal metabolic rate. And then we have a dietitian in the practice. And so she also will calculate your basal metabolic rate based on your energy expenditure. And so we can come up with a really personalized meal plan that is tailored to you and your weight loss goals. So to have a slight calorie deficit while still optimizing macronutrients and micronutrients so you feel satiated and full and also that it's something that's maintainable. So we're talking about making small changes as opposed to something really radical. I do use intermittent fasting when appropriate. Again, I wouldn't recommend it for someone with a history of an eating disorder, and I don't recommend it for everyone, but I think that that's a tool that can be really helpful as well. But again, it has to be something that you want to do long-term, because if you do it for a short amount of time and lose weight and then go back to your old habits, you're going to gain the weight back. So we're really talking about lifestyle management or lifestyle medicine. When we talk about losing weight and maintaining it, oftentimes I think that that ends up with a better outcome. I also do treat to body fat percentage, which we talked a little bit about at the beginning too. But I think that that can can be a better metric than just weight in and of itself. I think that's why we get a lot of those types of people
0: because they tend to know that it's likely lifestyle related, but. I think for a lot of people, it's almost easier when you know you have to lose 50 pounds because you have to do a whole life overhaul. When it's five to 15, it tends to be like, I'd say, tweaks, but those tweaks are really hard to kind of ritualize and put into daily practice. So, you know, having that food ready to eat, you don't have to think about it. It's like you get to immerse yourself in those rituals and healthy foods. And then, most importantly, at Sakara, we talk about optimizing gut health. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about long-term weight loss, it's so related to your gut, both from a hormonal perspective and whether you're constipated or not constipated, but also, you know, connected to which bacteria are thriving in your gut and dictating everything from your hunger levels to how well you sleep to your insulin and blood sugar issues. And that one of the reasons there's no true silver bullet to weight loss is because gut health is one of the centerpieces of overall health and therefore weight loss. So if you're not optimizing gut health, you're not ultimately optimizing
2: long-term weight loss. I totally agree. And I love what you said, too, about what Takara does with removing friction, right? So like, if you make it easier to eat healthy, you will. And I also totally agree with the gut microbiome. And I think it's actually not talked about as much as it should be. Unfortunately, you know, in New York State, it's so annoying because you can't do some of the functional medicine tests I that I would like
0: to be. It's so annoying. But GI
2: mapping is really great. And, you know, making sure you do tests for SIBO and CIFO and things like that. And not just chalking something up to an IBS diagnosis is important, right? Really doing a deeper dive, doing a root cause analysis. I'm really big on prebiotic and probiotic foods also, as I know both of you are, and really treating from the inside out is the way to optimize health. I don't
1: know if you saw this, but Weight Watchers just came out and kind of like apologized to their Weight Watchers members. They said that they introduced the shame for people for whom diet and exercise wasn't enough. And that now, thanks to new drugs like Ozempic, they're rejecting the blame, the dieter approach in favor of the view that obesity is an illness. And I think this approach that we take at Saqqara is, yeah, willpower is really hard. Willpower Mm -hmm. is really challenging to fight your biology, to overcome this mind over matter when you have your biology telling you, go eat, I'm hungry. It's trying to get back into that homeostasis place. Trying to fight your nature is really difficult. And so we're more in this mindset of if you're eating enough of the good stuff, putting enough of the good stuff in your body, there's less room for the things that are going to be unhealthy to your diet. So We don't talk about a list of no's at Saqqara. We talk about getting six cups of leafy greens into your body every day, eating the rainbow, getting that diversity and variety of plant ingredients into your body, getting the healthy fats, getting the plant protein. And once you check off all of those boxes, then you can go and have whatever else you want and Are craving, but even if it's just one meal a day that you're starting to eat these plants and this plant fiber, those prebiotic foods, you're shifting your biology. You're shifting those microbes that shift your brain chemicals and say, I want to eat more of the leafy greens. And so over time, by eating more of the healthy foods, you start to want more of the healthy foods using your biology in your favor versus willpower. Is that something that you also see in your practice?
2: It is really amazing how when you start to eat healthy foods, you can really eat intuitively. Your body will crave what it needs. It's amazing. You know, I always stand by, you know, the dose makes the poison, right? So what you're saying is if you really fill yourself up with all the healthy foods you need, you're probably just going to want a, a bite or two of the cookie or whatever it is, not the whole thing, because it's not the main event. And that's ultimately the goal is a balanced lifestyle, balanced diet, so that you can maintain it. Because anything that's too extreme is just really hard to maintain, and that's not the goal.
1: When you're talking about satiety and slowing the, the digestive process and these types of things that the GLP-1 drugs do, I mean, that's what eating high-fiber foods also mm-hmm. You know, they yeah. are, when they're filled with fiber and water, it's going to fill up your belly and it's going to take you time to even chew the food, slowing down that process, giving your body time to send signals to your brain that you've had enough and that are you're full. And a lot of the foods out there in the world are highly processed, easy to scarf down and chew up because they've already been processed for you. And pass through your system quickly, and are low fiber. So it's interesting to think about which foods actually promote this GLP-1 naturally. Are there any other foods or things that you've seen that naturally produce GLP-1 in the body?
2: Well, generally, when you do eat real food, you should have an optimal response with GLP-1. It's amazing to me, The way that food is processed, the ultra processed food, it's not even real food, honestly. It's wild. And so, you know, there definitely have been some studies that show the difference in GLP-1 release, either eating carbohydrates first or carbohydrates after a meal. And so I think that that's very interesting. And you know, there's definitely, I think, rhyme and reason to tradition and cultural practices in terms of how we eat with balanced meals and having a salad before and then dessert after, things like that, because it naturally actually does help with your digestion and preventing blood sugar spikes and things like that. I love that new show on Netflix, Blue Zones, you know, where they talk about the traditions and, and areas in the world where people live the longest. And they highlight a lot of the things that we've just been talking about, you know, slowing down, eating food with other people, enjoying it. I think when you eat family style, you tend to eat less because you put a little bit on your plate, you relax, you see how you're feeling, and then maybe you get more as opposed to the way a lot of people eat here in, in America, which is just to, you know, eat everything that's on your plate, and then our portions are huge and in fact, recently they changed the serving sizes on a lot of foods to reflect what people are actually eating, which can be a little bit misleading because yeah, they're actually makes larger. it seem normal. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> which is concerning.
0: <laughs> yeah. I learned so much. And I feel like if there's one message we could get out there today, it's that if you are using one of these GLP one drugs. Hopefully you're working with a medical professional, but then also that you're not treating it like a silver bullet that's going to not only give you the body you want, but make you healthy because it's just not true that it has to be combined with healthy lifestyle habits, especially for long-term success. Yeah. Yeah. So let's end with some light work. So light work is, you know, something everyone listening can do to just continue to shine their light and maybe put some of the things that we talked about in, into practice.
2: I would say light work would be try to invite daily movement practices into your lifestyle and be intentional about the food that you're eating. So try to eat whole foods and real food. And if you do those two things, it'll really set you off into a journey for long-term sustainable health and wellness.
0: Isn't it amazing that it's so simple, but so hard to do? Like when you say that to me, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but then it's like, we don't do it. You know, like yeah. I am so grateful that I have Sakara waiting for me every single day. Otherwise, I absolutely would not be eating as healthy. But then the daily movement, you know, I live in New York City, so I guess I, I walk a lot, but it's not intentional movement. It's like I got to get from A to B. <laughs> yeah. So like even just doing those two things it does take a lot of commitment
2: mm-hmm. and
0: prioritizing your health above everything else. So thank you for that reminder. Uh, thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. So fun. Thank you. Oh, and why don't you tell us like, where is your practice?
2: Oh, and how do we find
0: you? And how do we find you?
2: Yeah. So Health Meets Wellness is on 60th between Park and Lex. You can find us by either going online, going to our website, healthmeetswellness.com, or you can find us on Instagram, or you can call the office 917-833-5234. And do you see patients just in New York? So we see patients in New York and then we also do telehealth in New Jersey, Florida, Wisconsin, Wyoming. So we're we're around. Great. Well, thank you so much. That was awesome. Yay.
1: Oh my gosh, this is going to quickly move to be one of our top podcasts very quickly, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs>
0: I've been really getting into the science behind metabolism and which ingredients in our metabolism powder do exactly what for our metabolism. So just to set the stage, our metabolism powder has three key ingredients that do three key things. So one, fucosanthin is an algae-based ingredient. Essentially, it transforms your fat composition to something that is more metabolically active. So you're actually burning more energy with brown fat than you would white fat. Second, it has gymnema sylvestre, which is an Ayurvedic herb that really helps curb sugar cravings by actually helping to balance your blood sugar throughout the day. And third, it has an ingredient called horsetail. This is a really special herb that helps pull unnecessary bloat from your cells, unnecessary water from your tissues, while keeping your electrolyte balance. And I think what is amazing about how we designed the metabolism powder is that these are whole food ingredients. When it comes to like these whole food ingredients, they're gentle yet effective. You can find more details on Saqqara.com and enjoy 20% off your first 30-day pouch of our Metabolism Super Powder with the code POD. That's sakara.com and promo code P-O-D
1: at checkout. You know, as we were recording, I was thinking to myself, this really is the first episode that we've recorded where we're talking about weight loss. And yet it's something that people come to us for and ask us about all the time. They're curious about weight loss. They want to do it in a healthy way. They don't want to do crash dieting. And we haven't talked about it like head on in any other episode. And I know, you know, it was a big part of your journey Getting here and reasoning for starting Saqqara, how did this episode feel for you from a dieter perspective? How did you feel?
0: Like I said in the episode, I, I feel worried for the dieters out there who are being prescribed ozempic without either the help of a therapist or psychologist, like some professional to help them through like the emotional spiritual side. Like when your relationship to food is already poor and then all of a sudden you're not hungry, I think that's a dangerous place to be. So, you know, those are my concerns for people out there in the world. But in general, I think the scientist and researcher in me is excited to have something that gives people results. As she said, this is a big human experiment. We don't know the long-term impact. We don't know the long-term impact of taking the drug. We don't know the long-term impact of taking it and then getting off of it. So there's a lot of unknowns and... I can empathize with the people who are desperate to lose weight. So I understand the desire and the need, but I have a lot of questions
1: around it. And I think some people come to us and they want to know how Saqqara works to help you lose weight. And we touched on that in this episode, talking about shifting in the gut microbiome. We don't talk about counting calories because we don't feel like that is the main driver of weight loss. And yet, I think even in today's day where we can say a calorie is not a calorie, that all calories are not created equal, it's still difficult for people to wrap their brains around that. And I think partially because they don't know any other way to lose weight.
0: Well, and also like a calorie deficit diet does help you lose weight. Right. It's just that it's not the kind of weight you probably ultimately want to lose. It's not long term weight and it's likely not fat loss as much as it is water and muscle loss or equally water and muscle loss. So, I think that's the unfortunate it works, but if you're talking about hopefully long term health as well as long term weight loss, not just like, you know, oh I need to look good in May or whatever your thing is. I think that's why people are still caught up in the calorie conversation, but at Sakara When we talk about body intelligence, that's our ultimate hope for people, right? What better gift can we give someone other than the ability to know their body and then listen? Mm. I can't imagine a better gift. And it could be the body, know the body you have now and love the body you have now and listen to the body you have now with also the hope for change. You know, you can learn to listen and love your current body even though you might want it to change or you might want to lose weight. Mm -hmm. I think in this world where we have so many things that intercept that kind of highway between your gut and your brain, your body intelligence, and really listening to how you feel between ultra-processed foods and xenobiotics, you know, toxins in our environment, and now Ozempic that literally changes how you feel in your body and about food. like I'm worried that kind of intimacy with ourselves and knowing of ourselves is at risk. So just caution to anyone who is on it. How do you get to know yourself when you're taking a drug that's like changing you? Yeah. So yeah.
1: Right. Coming back to this point about set point, Mm -hmm. it's really interesting to me about getting to know ourselves on a deeper level to understand what is going into that set point, whether it's chronic stress levels. And I think things that can go into chronic stress is not just, oh, I'm scared of my boss at work, or I'm worried about how I'm gonna pay bills at the end of the month, or dealing with taking care of family around you, which are all very stressful, But I think also the stress of self-talk and self-hate and messages that we send to ourselves on a daily basis when we look into the mirror, that we can be our own biggest bullies, which, you know, if you had a bully in your life that was there every day saying, you're not good enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not thin enough, you're not rich enough, you're not smart enough, whatever it is enough, that you would be like, dude, get away from me. I can't handle this. Or you just believe it. (laughs) And yeah, but we don't say that to ourselves, to that inner critic, like, dude, stop saying that in my ear. Get out of here. Yeah, That can put that chronic stress on us too.
0: Yeah. And I was thinking about you actually, because you've been talking lately about how maybe it's being postpartum or still being maybe on somewhat of a fertility journey and figuring out what you want to do, that you feel like your body just wants Mm -hmm. to be at a different weight, like it's at a different set point than before, and you think that's a necessary part of, you know, healthy fertility.
1: Yeah, I think that society wants us to be thinner than what is actually healthy, especially for women, and especially when it comes to women's fertility. My body wanted to be at least five pounds heavier in order to get pregnant and have a baby. I mean, it wanted to be 55 pounds heavier <laughs> when I had a baby. I needed to put on some weight before I could get pregnant. And Dr. Elizabeth today talked about needing to lose weight or balance blood sugars in order to get pregnant and for certain population that is necessary. And I think on the other side... Certain women need to actually gain weight because if you are in a stress mode, have that fight or flight going on, your body needs to know that it has enough energy and enough energy storage to provide for both you and another living being. And if it doesn't have enough, then it's not going to put itself into a situation where it could put both of you at risk. We're talking how, you know, fat is part of the endocrine
0: system so it's Mm -hmm. not even just extra energy right it's like actual you know hormonal support and then there's a whole conversation we could have about what healthy weight gain can look like and how healthy weight gain and healthy weight loss might not be that different we'll save that for another podcast (laughs) (laughs) indeed we will